I'm at the Red House with Christian Arnder. Hello. Hello. Thank hello, you for hello. being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really, I, I told you when I got here, I'm really stoked like where this is. Oh yeah. It's beautiful. I got to drive down a little dirt road mm. and I was like, wow, this feels so good. As you were mentioning, this is, this it sounded like this reminded you a bit of your, of your, uh, original homeland. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, there's something to like physical space, like fields and stuff that feels so good, especially for like, honestly, for things like this, it's like conversations are more easily had in spaces where there's like physical openness. Mm. There's something to like physical openness that of like, I don't know, like creativity, conversation, general life, actual physical openness feels so good to me. And like we talked about a few minutes ago, it's like that might literally just be because of where I'm from. I, I cannot, I don't think I can convey how much I agree with that sentiment. And, yep. uh, and I think that, you know, like, uh, like in, in other ways, like, uh, like with this, uh, this, I don't know if you'd call it an aesthetic or a lifestyle or what, a philosophy sure. of minimalism. Uh, but I draw, I get drawn to it more and more and I hear interesting artists talk about the value, I think, to their creativity yeah. of treating their house like an empty space, one that is not riddled with distractions. And yeah. you might have picked up from from here. I'm a little bit more on the sort of like uh I don't know, junk store side of aesthetics or it's I like have you, been in the you past. very much like work and live here. Yeah. It's like that's the vibe immediately as you come in here, which I think is awesome. Yeah. Um, it does have a workspace vibe to it though. Yeah. And I think that's great, especially like, I think all those spaces are, it's like, it's like whatever works for you. Right. It's like my stuff's very, at least where we live now, right now, it's like, it's pretty separate. It's like, um, my girlfriend's super into like kind of maximalism as far as like decoration and stuff goes. That's kind of where she feels most comfortable. So I'm like, that's cool. As long as I have a space mm. that is curated more to where I'm at which so I have a separate office and that's very like it's very haphazard there's stuff all over the place there's like a physical corner for like physical artwork and then there's like my desk with like my computer and my iPad and that mm. kind of thing it's very like sections of the brain kind of vibes oh yeah yeah I mean I but I hear that that too is a really beneficial practice uh, yeah I think it was in Atomic Habits, mm. uh, the that book, they ta they kind of identify the value of singular use spaces. Yeah, uh, and sort of, and I find that to be a conflict here, having sure. a space where you do live and whatever, because because basically on this half of the room it might be for socializing and social life and stuff. That half of the room might be for creative productivity, and it's sort of hard to know where the line is between the two, especially right here, like almost in a yeah in a theatrical kind of way. Right here in this space where we're talking is the exact uh, line of the do difference. You, do you ever feel like if you were just like down here, like hanging out, would you be like, "Oh shit, I should be working right now"? Sometimes, yeah. Is it positive? Or is it like, do you feel like, oh, cool, I can just go work right now? Or is it more of like a pressure to be like, I'm in this space where I also work, so I should be working? I think it's, hmm, that's a really great question. I think it's something like, because the potential to work is always right at my fingertips, yep. I feel this guilty thing to mm. be like, 
there it is. Like, what excuse do you have to choose leisure over work? Oh, gosh. Yeah. You know? It's kind of crazy. I mean, I think a lot of, I mean, music, so much of, like, recording music is digital now. So much of what I do, like, illustration work, design work, whatever, is digital. And it's, like, it seems so easy to, like, be doing it because it's right at your fingertips all the time. I could sit on my couch and use my computer to work on something. So I can kind of trick my brain to be like, I'm relaxing. And it's like, I'm absolutely not. <laughs> I'm, I'm just working the same way I would have been if I was just upstairs in my office. And I think that's, it's really, it's weirdly difficult mm. to like, to be like, no, you're not. I have to, I have to sit there and be like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that right now. So how do you feel about relaxing? What is your relationship with relaxing? Oh, my relationship with relaxing is awful. <laughs> it's awful. It's it's really bad. Um, which I, luckily I have people in my life who are like, you have to stop. Like you have to relax. You have to pull yourself back a little. Um, I'm very much a person that could work all the time hmm. until I, I, I just, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. I used to literally make myself sick because I would work so like so much really like physically sick. It was just for like a full day. I'd like, I would wake up and feel awful and be like, I think I'm sick. Like, I think I have the flu or something. Hmm. And so obviously my body's like, you can't do anything. You have to, you can't because you feel so bad. Now you have to relax. Hmm. So then I would for a day, maybe two and then totally, totally fine. And it's almost like, I have no, you know, I have no scientific proof to prove that's what's happening, but it really, it felt like my body being like, you have to stop. Mm. You need time to sit and do nothing, relax, read, do something that's like not related to your job at all. And so I think within like the past year, two years, I've gotten better about that kind of thing. Like recognizing signs of like burnout, especially, or signs of like, Oh, I just need to take a break. Middle of the day, whatever. I just need I just need to take a break. Mm. I used to be really bad about it, just to like keep working through regardless of what how I was feeling or regardless of um when the deadline was or whatever. As soon as it's come as soon as the projects come in or whatever, I'm just working until it's done. Where w- w- did that sense of work ethic and that whole thing did that start has that always been how you are? I don't know. <laughs> um, I think so. Um, I'm very, like, I think for my entire life, it's like I've known, I've known what I wanted to do for my entire life, which is rare. And, and, is, and is that what you're, like, what, what you're I'm doing. doing? That's it's amazing. That's what I'm doing. I get to make, I, I think uh, Ashley, my girlfriend, was talking to her mom yesterday, and she was like, I think her mom had said something like, one day, jokingly about herself, she said, like, one day I'm going to have to grow up. And Ashley was like, no, you don't. She was mm. like, Christian draws pictures for a living. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it sounds insane. <laughs> but like, yeah, like, I mean, I've wanted to do it for forever. Um, it's, you know, it's shifted over time. It was like originally I was going to do like fine art, you know, studio art, stuff like that. And now I'm finally coming back to that in some kind of genuine way. But mostly it was like I was I was really into like skateboard graphics and stuff like that. You know, I'm where I'm from is like super, it's, it's fairly rural. I wouldn't say super rural, I guess, but it's fairly rural. And so I didn't have access to fine art Mm. when I was a kid. So the stuff I was into was like cartoons, comic books, skateboard graphics, album artwork, that kind of thing. Um, so for my entire life, I was like, that's what I want to do. 
I want to make that stuff. I just didn't know what it meant. Um, so when I like finally got the opportunity to start building towards that, it was like, that's it. That there's not, there's like, that's what I'm working on now. Mm. So it's like, I think it kind of just naturally came with the, the work ethic naturally came with this, um, realization that I could be doing that if I worked my ass off. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Do you know how, you know what age you were sort of when that started? When I started working on stuff or yeah, and um, when, you, when you started doing this, I guess, or that epiphany of I can do this. I was a sophomore in college. Like my first freelance job was I was a sophomore in college. So um, it was early in the 19, something mm. like that. So it's, it's, yeah, 19 is right. Cause it was, I'm turning 28 this year. So it's been that amount of time. And I, I already knew, I think even going into college, like earlier, I was like, I can't do like nine to five stuff. It's like really not where my head's at. Um, and so when I got the opportunity to do a freelance job, it was like, you get like, it's like anything else. You get that little taste of it and you're like, oh, <laughs> I can do that. I made $50. Like, <laughs> um, so when you get that little taste of it, it's like, I could keep doing this maybe. And then you get another one, you get another one, you get another one. And it eventually you just feel like this is actually possible. Yeah. And I had a lot of people, like, I'm very lucky to have had like people around me be like, no, that's possible. It's just really difficult and you can do it. It's just figuring out what that path looks like. Cause it would have been a lot easier, I guess, to like graduate and get like a, I don't know, like a design office thing, design office job, mm-hmm. making brochures or email templates or something. And, um, I was already like leaning pretty heavily into like illustration, you know, narrative art, drawing things as opposed to logos or brochures, which I do some of that stuff now too, which, and I have a good time doing it now because I've worked my way into like this very specific, like style, I guess. So it's like, even that stuff feels like something I'm doing. Whereas when I was younger, I was like, I don't know how to put those two things together yet. So I don't want to do any of the more like quote unquote graphic designy type stuff. So I guess, yeah, I was like 19 ish and then just kept going from there. And then eventually had to reckon with like, oh, you have to, you also have to take a break. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Uh, yeah. yeah the, your, your story, what I'm picking up so far, uh, just reminds me, I guess, a lot of where my mind has been at lately, mm. thinking about success stories and nine to fives and the yeah. risk, I guess, uh, of someone. And, and I, and, and I started a new project recently where I've been just been collecting sort of bits of wisdom from people. Sure. And one of the pieces that I collected this morning was like, it was just a piece of someone saying, you know, we all think of it as a risk and it is a risk, I suppose, to quit the nine to five and to go out and do the other thing. But, uh, you know, there's also a great risk in putting 40 years into like one company and, you know, living to 66 and then quitting for 10 years and then living for 10 years, like doing what you actually want to do. Yeah. That's also quite a risk. Um, to, to have a life that maybe doesn't give you the freedom to pursue a passion. like Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just it, different ways of thinking about it. You know what I mean? That's yeah. all it is. It's just like, I don't know. I think there are people who genuinely like thrive in like nine to five environments. And right. that's amazing. Like that's all I want for everybody really is like 
if that's where you thrive, then that's where I want you to be. I'm not saying that nine to fives all altogether are bad, you know, like if that's what you want to do, that's where your passion is. That's how you're building the life that you want to have. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I love that for you. It just wasn't going to be what I could do. I think too, another thing that a mistake we make sometimes when we talk about this is people, I think sometimes confuse creativity with competence. Oh yeah. And I think like, I think what people think when maybe two people like ourselves who, who might might have a skill set that is creative Mm. and like actually might practice creativity. They might, there might be this sense of sort of like, Oh, it's so superior to, to like be the creative, be the artist. And, and I don't, and like you just said, I mean, I don't think it's true for everybody, but I've met people who were really successful salesmen or people in business who are managerial, like good with good with analyzing numbers who say about themselves, like I, have zero creativity and I don't even, I wouldn't even want it. Like that's yeah. not my skill set. Yeah. You know? And I, so I think that's important too about what you're saying. Well, there's it's a like, strength there too. Exactly. It's like you've, you know yourself well enough yeah. to be like, that's not even in the ballpark of what I want to do. It's a different competence. It's a different you know? thing. Yeah. It's a totally different thing. And I think everybody aspiring to be a creative is the right way to go. And I don't think everybody aspiring to not be is the right way to go. You know, it's like, we are all just trying to figure out what works for us. Mm-hmm. And it's harder and harder because it's like there's so much pressure to do everything that you can get your hands on, um, especially right now. And it's like, what's working just for you? Where are you at? It's like you don't need to be, in some ways, I guess, I don't want to like contradict myself, but in some ways, I guess, like, to be like a freelance creative or to be like working with other people is also to be like some kind of business manager. Like you have to learn how to do that stuff at Mm. at some level. But if that's not like where you're thriving, then spending the bulk of your time doing that may be a mistake. You know what I mean? Like if you're not making the work in the first place, but you're promoting the work, I don't know. You're missing, you're missing something. Mm. You see people all the time asking for, you know, get trying to like promote themselves to get more clients or um, working with specific artists or wanting to work on like a certain book, work on a children's book, make a children's book, you know, whatever. And ultimately they're not doing the work associated with those things. Yeah. And it's like, it's not necessarily about like making sure you're sending all the emails. You know what I mean? You also have to be making the work to demonstrate that you can in the first place. And I think right now everybody's kind of in a weird spot because, you know, like everybody needs to make money. Everything's more expensive. Everybody's looking for apartments, all that stuff. So it's like, I understand where you're coming from. Like I understand like self promo is, has to be part of the game and it, cause it really does. But I think a lot of the times we're forgetting and myself included. I, I do this also. It's like, I just think it's just part of the process. Like I forget that like sometimes I just need to sit down and make stuff. Yeah. And then maybe that will lead somewhere else. Yeah. I'm, I'm so right there with you on point. And, uh, what I've, what I've, what I've noticed about that, I think like I'm, I'm like responding heavily with what you're describing. Mm. And I think it's because I don't, it's like the creative side. I don't ever really feel 
challenged by. Like I know right. how to write songs and like kind of be in my zone creatively. Yeah. The other stuff, which should actually just be secondary, it should just be not should. You know what I mean? It's it, it's all it's all malleable according to who wants to do what. But what I want is for my use of social media basically to just point toward the things that I create. And I want to create things often enough that I, you know, have things to point right. to. But what I notice is that instead I get, you know, I, I end up losing time with creativity because I'm so bogged down and like confused and sort of consumed by this this thing, trying to figure out like the perfect process of what it takes to mm-hmm. effectively and optimally promote uh, using all these social media outlets and stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm in the exact same boat and I think most creatives are. It's like we're we're losing so much time because we're thinking about algorithms, and it's which feels like an insane thing to even say. Um, but I don't know. I think there's like it's almost like a switch that flips at times. I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm very aware of it. Mm. I think social media, in so many ways, is designed to keep you in for as long as it possibly can. It's like why like it's why Instagram refreshes the way it does. It's why Twitter refreshes the way it does. It's like why all, everything works the way it does. It's why we get like like mechanics that also like make our phone vibrate when we like something. Mm. It feels nice. You know what I mean? Like there's like this weird little I'm in charge of this thing. Um, it makes me feel kind of good. That was funny. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like for some reason every once in a while this switch flips and you're like oh shit I've been on this for like 30 minutes I haven't done anything else and it's 1 p.m. on a Tuesday it's like I don't and I don't know it's like if we could spend as much time making as we could on there it would be like this massive revelation for so many people I think but it's also hard I don't know it's like this weird back and forth because it is weirdly difficult Mm. to for whatever reason I don't know the psychology behind this at all, but it's like, it is weirdly difficult to be like, how can I make stuff as often as I am wasting time? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I have no, I have no idea. If I could figure that out, I'd be making a lot more stuff. Yeah. It's this weird combat between creating versus consuming, I guess. Yeah. But the consumption is so passive. Like it'd be one thing if you were at a, you know, like I like if I go to a museum right now mm-hmm. or something that's a true experience, then it's like that's time consuming and that feels like an, a sort of energy consuming thing. It feels like a real version of consumption. Sure. But with social media, it's so it's so low, uh, low commitment, you know, and so it feels like yeah. you can you can really get a lot more consumption in. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to like park your yeah, car. It's so easy. So easy to do. It's but so easy. You're yeah. stealing so much from yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I think it also I don't know, something I think about in tandem with this is like how it affects what you're making. Um how it affects like how you approach what you're doing because it's like how I and I catch myself doing this. It's like I'm never calling anybody out for any of this cuz mm-hmm. it's like I also do it, but it's like but I have to be honest with myself at a certain point and be like, did I consider how people are receiving this before I ever started working on it? Hmm. And it's like, sometimes that's totally appropriate. 
you know, if you're working with a client who's using it for promotional reasons or um, what have you, I don't know. That's the only example I have. Um, but if you're, if, if, if that's the reason, then it makes sense to consider it because you are considering like what their audience will think of it or whatever. But if you're making something for yourself and the first thing you did was consider how other people are going to feel about it, you kind of have to scrap and start over. I agree. Like you don't really have a choice because you've already taken yourself out of the equation. Yeah. And it feels really bad. <laughs> like, and once you finish it, chances are you don't even like it that much anyway. Huh. So, yeah, there's there's two ways to think about that, I guess, because I agree. And there's there's a so there's a conflict, uh, I guess, with all that. So. So I guess as a music creator, mm. that's where I agree, because I, I I never go into it, into recording or writing, thinking about that and trying to manipulate an audience in a way that's just sure. like, I'm going to create something that I think you'll automatically like. I try to maintain an integrity in that process, but then there's the social media side of it, like the marketing strategy side of it. Yeah. And that is like, there's this, that's part of, I think, why it feels like such a mindfuck for me. Because yeah. it's like, I'm on Instagram, and it's like, I must want people... And you're on there for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. I must want people to engage with the things that I post. Yeah. I must want it to reach people. I think it's... I, th I think you're totally right. I think we're all doing it, especially if you are making stuff. You're on these platforms because you want people to care. Mm. And... I think where we where it does feel like a mindfuck is like when you start considering the marketing pre making stuff like pre product. Yeah, it's like it's like it's it's like doing market research to see what illustration I make. Why would I do that? Mm. You know what I mean? It's like if it's just for me, if it's just something I want to make, why would I? go and research what's doing best with my audience right now. It's like my audience isn't huge, whatever. It's like, so I am really just like throwing stuff out into the world and seeing how it does and seeing how it does. And honestly, if there's any kind of marketing or whatever for, I mean, for releasing music, for releasing artwork, for making t-shirts, whatever it is, I feel like the things that end up doing the best are the stuff that was made in that very genuine space of like, I just really feel like this needs to exist. Mm. Even if, like I said, even if that's as simple as a t-shirt graphic, it's like, you want to make a t-shirt that you want to wear. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so if you make that, you've done that genuinely. That's something I'd want to put on. Now, after it's done, you can start considering how do I let people see this? How do I market this? Who's the audience for this? Who's the, who are the right people? for this. You know what I mean? This like one t-shirt might not appeal to everybody, but it might appeal to these, this hundred people or this 20 people, whatever it is. And how do we pivot to that kind of, I guess, approach to creation and also marketing? Because like we've already said, social media is so easy mm -hmm. that I think a lot of the time it influences more of what we're doing than we even consider. Because I think oftentimes it happens with me when I've like considered how something is going to be seen or consider how people are going to receive it first. It's totally subconscious until I'm already working on it. And then I'm like, 
And then I catch myself being like, well, I can't do that because then they, mm. they, they, people won't like this part of it or whatever it is. And I think it, it ends up affecting us in this like kind of backwards way where we're like, we don't think about it at first consciously, then we're making something and we're considering all these little bits that aren't necessarily part of us. It's just part of our assumption of what people might think of it when in actuality it needs to be like create, figure out the marketing and go from there. Man, I'm really glad you talked about that because I feel like it's like I was on the, I feel like lately I've been on the cusp of sort of trying to understand that these are two different things because I think that's, that's a big part of it is for creatives or creators or Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) She's getting really comfortable. Yeah, that was a while. She, her head was almost touching her spine. Um, Anyway. Very comfy. Yeah. For, <laughs> for creators, creatives, it's sort of like anything that your name is attached to or the the effort to put this thing out, it's a part of this artistic vision. Yep. And so anytime you'd start, I don't know, trying to maximize how many eyes are on it unorganically or yep. organically, just just putting in effort, it's like it is there's a question in, in one's mind about whether or not you're staying true or whether or not you're trying to sell out or these, these ridiculous sort of, uh, I don't know, these, these, these things we want. It's like, we want the piece to be large, but we don't want to be the ones to put in effort to, to get eyeballs on it. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it's like, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting people to see the stuff you made. You know, I think, we're all making stuff because we want people to see it. Yeah. If, for whatever reason, if it's like emotional connection, if it's just to make somebody laugh, if it's to be informative, whatever it is, we want people to see it and connect to it somehow. And it's, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that aspect of it. It's just, I think in a world where we are so consumed with the idea of like, how much money can this make me? Like, yeah, we end up, reversing the order of things that is true and then there's also this other side that comes to mind for me which is we we live in a time too where there's a lot of there's a lot of huge names that are ridiculed for just being like pointlessly famous without merit sure or something and then and then you start asking yourself well what am i pursuing then am i pursuing when you take somebody like a Kardashian or something mm. and people say, oh, well, they're they're not even talented. They're not even real, sure. you know, creators or anything. They're just famous for being famous. Then you start wondering, well, if I use these platforms like Instagram or, or um, TikTok or whatever, am I pursuing fame itself or am I pursuing notoriety for being good at mm. what it is that I like? And that's a it seems like that that's a growing and maybe that's not a new thing. Maybe that is just my weird perception of that being new. Because mm. maybe you could have said that from for somebody who was like pursuing radio, like pursuing radio success in 1984. Sure. You know. Sure. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Like, I, I just, I don't know. It's like, it feels, it feels strange to like critique others like success in a way because it's like I don't know what they're doing I have no idea I don't know like I I don't know anything about the Kardashians really other than that they are famous you know and that like I've seen bits and pieces of like the show or bits and pieces of like stuff online that they've made quote unquote I don't know I have no idea how they're actually working how they're actually involved with anything really yeah and so it's like I think a lot of times when especially other creatives want 
are critiquing like that kind of success, that kind of fame, famous for being famous, that kind of thing. It's coming from like kind of a weird jaded place Mm -hmm. of like, why aren't I famous for doing this thing that I think is genuine? And it's like, I don't know. I don't like, (laughs) I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. I don't, I don't know why you're not famous. I, I have no idea. And it goes back to what you said. It's like, is that the goal? Like, is your goal to be Kardashian famous? Because I think you fucked up already. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, yeah. I don't think you're getting there. Because like, and I, and I talked, I, I've taught, I talk to students about this kind of thing all the time. It's like, I don't, your goal cannot be everybody's going to know that I made a logo for something. Mm-hmm. That's insane. There are a few designers that like only graphic designers can name off their hand. You know, it's like Milton Glaser and like a few other people. Yeah. And it's like, there's not, you can't walk up to a person on the street and ask them who Milton Glaser is. They don't know. That's the level of, that's the only level of fame you could aspire to. And even then you're pushing it. Your goal has to be make the best thing you can and hope that the right people give a shit. Mm. And that's it. That can, that can be your goal and hope that you get paid enough to live comfortably. Mm-hmm. That's it. We can't be chasing like Instagram fame, TikTok fame, that kind of thing. If you want to be creating genuinely, your main goal can't be, I want to be an influencer. I want to be viral on the internet. It, it, can't, it can be a secondary thing. Like if you're also like making stuff and streaming on Twitch or like, um, showing people your process or making TikToks to talk about client experiences or whatever. That's great. I'm sure somebody finds that helpful. That's amazing. But as long as that's not your main goal, yeah. you're not going to be famous on those platforms because you draw pictures and that's not what most people, that's not getting them. And on the other hand of that, it's like, if it is your main goal, you've, you veered off too far. Mm. If it's a secondary thing, that's great. Make your stuff. If it's your main thing, you've already veered off of the thing that you want to be famous for. Yeah. Yeah. So now you can't be famous for that thing because you're away from it. Yeah. Now you're famous for having an ad before something. Exactly. I don't know. I think that, well, that's, that's important. What you're saying is important because I think there's a, there's a, there's a byproduct to this whole viral sensation thing that people, I believe I started to become aware of this from like the American Idol days uh, that people's initial exposure to you has a big influence on what they remember you for or something. And so here, I don't know, one example being American Idol. So I think the first season of American Idol, there was this novelty aspect to it so that Kelly Clarkson's celebrity was a little larger than the show because it was like she sure. she won the show and we all agreed to the terms. But as time went on, I think it became more this thing that was like kind of like a season of an MTV show or see like Real World or some shit or like the season of a VH1 show. Like this is just the cast to the season of this TV show. Right. But then after like this season, I'm not really going to give a shit, you know, what these people's careers yeah, turn into. Absolutely not. I feel like the interest in those those people kind of went down over time. And then a second example of that, there's this this country artist out of uh, like Oklahoma or some fucking where 
and he had this alter ego, Earl Dibbles Jr. I know who that, yeah, I know, you know, who, who, I know what you're is? talking about, yeah. So when I first discovered this guy, he was trying to do the songwriter thing, and Earl Dibbles Jr. was just somebody who on the side, he just was a YouTube character. It's like that comedy, he, yeah. country kind yeah. of thing, yeah. Since then, I'm, I'm maybe his maybe his audience has grown, but Earl Dibbles Jr., the alter ego, which was a more virally sensational character than his songwriter stuff, that's become his career, it seems. He's like a radio personality yeah. now. It happens to people all the time. I mean, even on more micro levels, it's like it happens to visual artists who make one thing that sells really, really well, um, and then somebody else comes to him for it. Somebody else comes to him for it. And before you know it, you've done a hundred pieces that are basically all the same thing, just slightly, slightly different each mm. time. Um, and for some people it works really well. Um, people like Takashi Murakami come to mind. It's like all of his stuff feels very, very similar, but he's also been doing it for forever before anybody asked him to do it before. It's like rappers love Murakami stuff, you know, like, they have merch with his stuff on it. They mm. have like, um, Billie Eilish just did a collab with Murakami like a couple of years ago. It's like before it was that, it was this like genuine experience of like he is making a lot of the same stuff over and over and over. Um, or like Keith Haring even. Very similar vibe over and over and over and over. Different narratives, different ideals, different ideas, all this stuff. But genuine before anybody cared. Mm. I think... The concept you're talking about is, it's not uniquely modern, but we're living through it in a unique way because it's, you have the chance to post this thing that you just did because you thought it was funny. You just did yeah. because, I don't know, you had an afternoon and next thing you know, it's your entire personality. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, or, and like, and then if you don't lean into it, it's gone. Almost immediately. It's like th there are people on TikTok that are like, one video goes viral, they get a million followers, and then nobody cares about anything else they post because that one video was really, really funny. Yeah. It could have been anything. But now they're just trying to capitalize on that over and over and over and over, and nobody cares anymore. They still have a million followers, but nobody's watching anything that they're posting. So it's like, we're living through this like weird virality moment in like a very weird way where it's like, it almost doesn't matter if you don't want that whole thing to be your personality. Mm. Um, and then going back to like Earl Dibbles Jr. It's like where now, where, where does your life live? Like where, like where are you in this space of like, you wanted to make music, you wanted to like, you had like this genuine outlet, this genuine um, thing you were putting out. And then it got kind of overtaken by this persona. Right. By this thing that maybe you just thought was funny at the time. And now it's your whole thing. So like for people that that happens to, I, I, I'm always curious about like where or how they feel. I am too. Where are you at? I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. It's like even like artists who, like massive artists. I think we were talking about like Doja Cat or something at the time. It's like singles come out, they go crazy. Millions of streams, numbers like crazy. 
But then the album comes out. It has those three singles on it. And it doesn't, sales numbers aren't good, or it doesn't really, which isn't like a super big measure of success, but sales numbers aren't good. People don't like the album. When you see them perform, they're performing mostly singles that did really, really well. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm sure there are people who are listening to the full album. But I always wonder how those artists feel when there's probably like song number 10 out of 12 on the record is like one of the fa- one of their favorite songs they've ever made. But nobody cared. Yeah. Because they released these singles and those have like millions and millions and millions of streams. That's what they're known for. That song didn't sound like one of those. So now nobody cares about that one. It's like, I always end up wondering how artists feel when now they have to take this thing that went really viral. They have to like take it on to their yeah. personality. I wonder that too. And I, cause I wonder if, if like, I guess I try to operate in this way where I keep my art and my creative sort of persona, if you want to call it that, or whatever I put out, I, it's kind of consistent with me. Mm -hmm. And I've heard other artists sort of talk about that and sort of, I think there's a, a bit of a divide within arts. Some people kind of operate in the same way that maybe I do. That's sort of like persona isn't the thing. Like mm. you can you can abandon persona and you can like pursue the path of true sort of the true individual, and that can be a part of what you're putting out. And like right. it's it's what people experience. And then there are other people who say yes, you can do that, but the persona is extremely fun. It's extremely oh, yeah. interesting. It's like a and it gives you something to separate from yourself. And and that's that to me is what I wonder if there's a great I wonder if there's a great benefit to it because I wonder if what you can do is sort of separate the value that we put on the ego. Like Oh yeah. Like for me, if somebody doesn't like song ten or whatever, that's like a little part of me that they're rejecting. A real part a little part of my real name that they're right. rejecting. But if my name were Billy Strings or if it were Billy Eilish or if yeah. it were uh if it were the weekend, you know, uh if it were separated in that way and I knew that that was just a personality that existed to represent artwork to the public or whatever, maybe it wouldn't be as painful. Maybe it would be a little more bearable for sure. you know, for for that persona to I've bear. I've never even thought about it that way. That's a really interesting way to think about it. Yeah, I mean, and also Maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like maybe it is, maybe song 10 is their favorite and they're just like, I don't know, I got to make it. Right. So whatever. Maybe they care more about I'll perform it on a tour and nobody will know it and that's fine. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You know what it's like? And I don't know. I was just, I guess it's like, I wonder about other creatives' egos because, I mean, because everybody is just obsessed with their own. You know what I mean? And I'm like, and I wonder. If I was in their position, would I be hurt by this? Would I be like, okay, that's fine? You know what I mean? And it's, I don't know. I don't know either. I have no idea. But I'm, I'm curious about other creatives' egos and like how that plays into what they're making. Well, you know, with musicians and with actors, well, especially with actors, because they, they literally take on a persona for their yeah. jobs. Musicians have the option to kind of do that. You know, like a lot of people, like, like we were talking about, some people apparently don't you know i think people like springsteen because they think he is him and then they like the weekend because he's the weekend yeah with visual artists i mean is there 
Is there an equivalent to that? Is there a comparable sort of similar thing? I mean, I guess so, but like it's, I wouldn't say it's as common mm. because it's like you have people like in the history of art, it's like the one that comes to mind and what everybody knows is like Andy Warhol. Right. Like Andy Warhol was a persona. You know what I mean? Almost like first and foremost, it was part of his art form to be this like publicly known figure that was famous but weird and had these elaborate parties that were like taboo and strange. And like it was a, it, the whole thing was an art piece. Mm. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's hard to like pick him apart. What kind of person was he? We know now, you know, like through biographies and documentaries and all this stuff. But at the time, it would have been very difficult to know who he was, especially if you weren't like one of his closest friends or family members or something. So it makes I, me think of Dali, too, I guess. Yeah, it's like you there are people, I think, in visual art who are like enigmas. You don't necessarily understand a lot about them um, or they do have a very public persona, but it's not as common. And I think part of the reason for that is like visual art specifically. You don't really people aren't going to it for that. You can go to music. You can go to an artist because you like the way they seem. Mm. You know what I mean? You can like their attitude towards things or how they publicly present themselves. Visual art kind of operates in a different way because it's like most of the time you can just approach it as I like that thing that was made and I don't know who made it at all. Yeah. I've never seen them. I don't follow them on anything. I, if I do, they don't post themselves that often. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know anything about this person, man. That's so true. Yeah. And like, when I think about, I mean, and, and I guess connecting this to the earlier part of thinking about how social media works, I think it's a lot more common for me to see musicians sort of use social media platforms to, I, to represent every, like their whole life as a part of that persona. Like yeah. see, see me sitting by the fire with my boots on. Like this is, that's my as, vibe. Yeah. This vibe is the same as what my music is, you know, like this, this yeah. vibe runs through my whole life. Whereas I think with visual artists, I see a lot more of using that space to represent the art rather than the person. Yeah. I'm like, I'm kind of having an epiphany right now. I'm just thinking about it because it's like, you're so right. And then I think about people who are in like really successful spaces as visual artists right now are also doing a little bit of both. Really? Okay. I think so. It's like, I mean, even just like, um, there are a couple of people like, uh, um, what's his actual last name? I don't know. Andy J pizza hosts this podcast called creative pep talk. Hmm. He's done it for years. Um, and people love him. He has a great personality, especially for podcasting. He's like, it's just him every week, most of the time, just talking about something that's been on his mind oh, as far as cool. creativity goes. Um, he's an illustrator, he's a designer, whatever. He oftentimes is just posting little snippets of him talking about something. You know, so even like in tandem with posting this like new children's book he has coming out, the next post is just him doing something. You know what I mean? And it's like, I think people like to see this, like, cause it feels, it feels more genuine. Yeah. It feels like, Oh, that person is alive. They're doing, they're doing a thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or people like, um, Aaron Draplin, this designer from Portland. Um, 
he his like almost his entire thing now is just his personality. Mm. People just like him. So he he's done like tours. He's a graphic designer, but he's done speaking tours of the country. Huh. Just talking about his life just because people like his personality. See, isn't that so strange? It's very odd. But I mean, I guess it in a way it makes sense. I mean, you're even with your art, your art, in a sense, is sort of like your personality taking a different personification yeah. or something. You want it. I mean, I think the dream of every artist is for your art to represent you. Yeah, exactly. And it does. But I don't know if everybody gets it all the time. And I think maybe allowing people to see you as a person do other things mm-hmm. helps them feel more connected. They understand your art more because they saw you. Potentially. I don't know. I'm just thinking about it and I'm like, I'm, I'm having an epiphany over here because I'm like, cause Ashley's always telling me, she's like, you have to post yourself sometimes. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to fucking do that. And she's like, you have to, it would make, it makes sense. And I'm like, I don't know if it makes any sense. And now we're having this conversation. <laughs> I'm Ashley. I'm so sorry. Um, like, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, this is an epiphany episode. Cause yeah. like I, this is refreshing my ideas about all this stuff and it's making me think of it differently. And, and I'm liking it. I mean, I, it, it sounds like very positive things too. It is positive. It's like, I, I, I think I've been taking this approach of like, I don't want people to think I'm like vain. I don't want people to think I'm like posting myself for no reason. Exactly. And then when like, I listen, I only have Instagram because I make stuff. That's it. Yep. That's the only reason I have any of this shit is like, is because I make stuff so people can see the stuff I make. Yeah. I don't want to be like, oh, by the way, here's me eating a hot dog. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, why would I do that? And then, but now I'm like, because that's very genuine. <laughs> And people yeah. would enjoy it. Yeah, man. I, there, there's a, you know, it obviously always depends. That's like, so uh, I'm, I'm definitely not likely to post any videos of me literally eating a hot dog, but, uh, I might now. Yeah. Why not? You know, uh, especially if it's like on brand with sort of the vibe yeah. and who you are yeah. and everything. But yeah, like I, I have been such a slow bloomer with all of this stuff. Like I mean, I remember when Instagram was a brand new thing and my yeah. friends who who were just a little more, they're the type who were like, this is a cool thing that's happening and I'm going to do it. They were all on it for years and I was just like, fuck that. Yeah. Like, I'm not doing this stupid shit. I just play shows. And then like slowly but surely, surely you get on Instagram and then like, then TikTok happens and then you're like, man, fuck I'm not TikTok. doing TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> I've already done enough. Like I don't want to be on TikTok. Slowly but surely stuff. you're also on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it, it's just kind of how everything goes. It's like Well, somebody I, told me once, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, please. So, somebody told me once, like I forget I forget even what it how it was said and what the context of the conversation was, but somebody just pointed out once like um and it might have been to do with TikTok. I, I really can't remember now, but they were like, are you using this thing? And I was like, no. And they were like, isn't that like where uh, people are? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, I guess so, yeah. Are you not, are you not interested in like going where the market is? And I was like, well, fuck. <laughs> um, I guess. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, I... I don't know how to view that stuff anymore, really, because it's like you have to be a part of it. 
in a lot of ways. It's like you do have to go where the market is. Yeah. But at the same time, there is that resi- there's a natural resistance, and I think a lot of it comes from. I keep saying like creatives do this, creatives do that. I think it comes naturally to people who are trying to make stuff in like this genuine way. Mm. It comes naturally to be like, I don't want to do that thing that feels not genuine. Yeah. And I think that it just, it all cycles backwards to being like, if you are a creative, then you also, and you work by yourself, then you also have to be your business manager and you also have to be your market analyst and you also have to be the person who manages the money and like whatever. So it's like, if you have to do all of that, you also have to be where the people are. Yeah. You also have to be where the market is. And it's difficult, but it's not all bad. Well, if you can handle it, if you can handle it and you can approach it in a genuine way, it's not all bad. Absolutely. I mean, somebody who says some good shit about this, uh, Ryan Holiday, who's the guy behind Daily Stoic. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. He's, you know, he's a successful writer and he's also, I think, been pretty helpful in getting other maybe more seasoned or older uh, writers kind of to change their perspective on some of this stuff, which is obviously what stoicism is great for. And he would be, if he were here, I'm sure he would be like, well, there's there's two things you could think about. One is that if you take a medium like music or visual art or books or whatever, those are great mediums, but nobody is entitled to sort of like me, like I could sit here all day and whine about, I just want to, I just want to do what I originally wanted to do, which is like put things out on CD mm. and fucking sell those. But everything has changed yeah. since my original sort of intro into this stuff when CDs were relevant. And yeah. now there's all these different spaces where people's attention are. And like rightfully so they're, they're totally at liberty to be in those spaces. And so for me, I should probably notice that like these these are more spaces to engage with people in the name of what I really want to do, which is make music. Right. It's not make CDs, it's make music. And these are ways to reach those people. And the second part of that is, you know, to see it as a a positive opportunity rather mm. than a, a a a burden, which I think is what I usually tell myself yeah. a lot of this stuff is. Yeah. TikTok felt like, oh, this burden. I don't want to be involved in another thing that I got to learn and be foolish about and, and all this stuff. But I could just as easily just change my mind about it being a burden and just think, well, instead it's another way for me to try to uh, to reach people and share with them what yeah. it is that I do. It's know? something to learn. Yeah. It's something to approach. And yeah, I agree with you. I think trying to figure out a way to creatively approach these things as new opportunities as opposed to burdens is like the crux of the whole thing. It's like the way you can feel good about it is by considering who's getting to see it, who's getting to hear it. Like, and even if it's like, there's this quote, I don't remember who said it. I don't remember where I saw it, but I think about it all the time. It's like, even if not that many people see the thing, right? It's like, 20 people, right? 20 people liked it. 20 people listened to it. 20 people watched, like whatever it is. Um, doesn't feel like a lot on social media. It feels like a very low number. But if 20 people were in the space where you made it, you'd be overjoyed. Mm-hmm. Be huge. That's a huge deal. If why, are, why are 20 people watching you do that thing? It's like, that's 20 more people. Yeah. Or, or 
I don't know, 10 new people that you've connected with on some level. 10 people who already like your stuff and 10 people who didn't know who you were before. And that's crazy to think about. If we can think about it from like a very human perspective and think about how like somebody saw this, a person sitting on their couch saw this thing and they were like, I like this. (laughs) That's amazing. It's like you, and if we can approach it in the same way that if a stranger walked up to us, walked up to us on the street and was like, I saw that thing you made. That would make you feel so good. And if we can think about social media in that way, then you can have a lot more of a positive experience with it, I think. Oh, I think that's spot on. I mean, and, and, you know, thinking of it in terms, too, of like venues and and, uh, art gallery openings or something like that, I would imagine. Same thing. I played at Fancy Groceries last night. And, you know, I think we had uh, about 40 40 or so people there, you know. And, yeah, on on social media, it'd be like, I can't believe this image only got 40 likes. Yeah. But then when you're in a real room with people, it's like... uh, 40 people is a lot of people. It is. It's a good number. Yeah. It's a good number of tickets to sell. Yeah. It's a good number of people to have conversations with. Yeah. Like, or any, or to care. Like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of amazing when you, like, when you can take a step back to be like, that's 40 actual human beings Mm -hmm. doing a thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I've been trying to do that more lately with like, I post on socials less, I think now than I used to, um, just because I want to be making more stuff. Yeah. But now if, if a few people see it, I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so sick. I'm glad a few people saw the thing I made. Um, maybe one of them will ask me to do something. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe they send it to somebody else. I have no idea. And so there's a lot of like in being a creative, but also just in socials, whatever. There's a lot of like flexibility with how things happen. And I think social media can feel really rigid. It's like post at noon, send it to this person, put it on your story. Also use hashtags, also do all this other shit. And it's like, it can feel really rigid, but in actuality, there's this like weird flexibility to it where like somebody could have screenshotted it and sent it to their friend mm-hmm. and you have no idea. Yeah. And, or they could have gone directly to Spotify from your Instagram and sent the song through Spotify to somebody. They never liked the video because they liked the song. So they went to the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you have no idea. There's all this like weird flexibility. And I think creativity works like that in general. It's like the thing, the way we make stuff, very flexible. It went, it, it, it comes and it goes, it moves in and out. It's not necessarily something we're in control of. Social media is the exact same way. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily something we're in control of. We can try to be, but the algorithm changes every single day. So I don't know what the point is. So it's like, allow it to be flexible and it's more fun. Well, you, you just spoke to something that is part of one of the questions that I thought to ask you. And there's, there's a few th- from Please, the conversation yeah. so far that I was just like, Oh, I'm trying to remember that. I'll try to remember that one. You just touched on, uh, I think I learned more and more talking about how with creativity is often, mm. it can be a fruitless compared to some things because I totally agree. Like, like we, we like, I think we, we often like the idea that we're in control of creativity and oh, that yeah. like, it's our ego that did all this stuff when really I think it's kind of like we're re- sort of receptive to potential in yes. this way, you yeah. know, but uh, I guess I, I just watched, uh, the second, um, I just watched the second 
Black Panther movie. Okay. And this quote st- stuck with me, and that might be why I'm phrasing the question this way, because because uh, Michael B. Jordan says like more than once in the movie he says something to the effect of like why why is always going to be the better question than how. Uh. So I think that's my question is rather than asking you how creativity. Why creativity for you? Why sure. visual art? Why did this find you? Sure. Um, or why did you find it? I think going back to like the very beginning of your point about like it being an ego thing, like and us really wanting creativity to be something we control. I always think about like human beings being this like part of nature, this like grander scheme of the world around us and I think when I think about creativity in that way of like we're all just a part of what's going on you know we really truthfully we don't have control over a lot you know it's it's this our lives very much ebb and flow and we don't have a lot of control over most things um, we convince ourselves we do because we want to feel better <laughs> about our existence and we're lucky in that fact we're lucky to get to rationalize and do all that stuff. But I think to approach creativity as this like natural force that we don't really know how it works all the time is an amazing experience. Hmm. If you can just let it happen, it's kind of like there's a million books about like the science of creativity. And I was, I'm always talking about how like, I wish somebody would just write a book about none of that. <laughs> I don't care. I like, I don't care about the psychology of creativity. I know it doesn't bother me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think you do. I like, because it feels so natural to me. I think creativity, why creativity? She's having a great time. Yeah, she is. I love it. Um, why creativity for me is it's complicated and it's very simple for me. It's, the only thing that I've ever been like drawn to like without even thinking from like the moment I could draw anything. That's what I was doing. I don't know why I had like, it's not a, it's not a family thing. It's not a like, I don't know. It's not, it's really hard to describe. It's like my parents were super encouraging. They would be like, yeah, you want to like color or mm-hmm. something? And like, yeah, you can do that. But kids color, you know what I mean? It's like, But I think it was like one of the only things that I've ever felt like really naturally drawn to doing is like, this is what I do. I don't know why. It's just what I do. And I try not to question it. I try not to think about it too hard because it's like, I don't want to convince myself not to. So here we are. And it's, but on the more complicated end of the spectrum, it's, it's this like thing that gives me the ability to emotionally connect to people gives me the ability to describe things that are otherwise difficult to describe. Um, it gave me a lot of opportunity to, um, express my emotions towards things, especially when I was younger, like even especially like it's helped me work through complicated topics in my own life. You know what I mean? It's like, and at a certain point, the why is, because I'm thankful that I, that I get to do it. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like I wake up every day and I know that that's what I'm going to do. 
And that's amazing. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I don't even have to think about it. I don't question it. I wake up and I go, I can make that thing. And that's crazy to me. So yeah. it's like the why just ends up being because <laughs> like, I don't have anything else to do. Yeah. There's nothing else that I'm going to be doing. So it's like, here we are. And everything else is in service of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, I worked in coffee for years. I'm going to work in coffee again, just for a little bit, just for fun. But like I worked in coffee for years so I could also be making stuff the way I wanted to be making it. You know what I mean? It's like everything else for my adult life has been because I want to do that thing. Yeah. And I don't have another way to describe it. As much as I like, it sounds counterintuitive, I think. Sure. But, and she's funny. Um, (laughs) But I ask that question almost in that same spirit, which is, which is funny because I, I asked the question just to have the opportunity to hear you talk about it, but like at the same time, I recognize there's al- there's, it's almost like part of the answer and part of what I'm getting from you is sort of like the less you question why, the mm. better. Yeah. And the more that you act upon the, the impulse and the intuition to do it, maybe the better. And may, like asking why too much, I think might be disruptive in a way or something. Yeah, it's like for me there's no reason for me to be like, why am I, why do I want to make that? Why do I want to do this? Yeah. There's really not a, there's really not a reason to it because all it's going to want, all it's going to do is freak me out. Yeah. Exactly. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe I should do something else. Um, <laughs> exactly. Maybe I give up. Um, which happens sometimes. Like, I mean, it would be disingenuous to say that that doesn't happen. I think every creative goes through that at some point. And you're like, why am I doing this? Why the fuck am I doing this? And it's like, because for most people, especially if it's something you genuinely want, you don't really have a choice. You're doing it one way or the other. Even if you try to quit doing this half of it, yep. you're doing the other half. That's so true. So it's like, I mean, I've had friends who were like illustrators and designers and they stopped doing that because they were like, I don't want to deal. And I was like, don't want to deal with clients anymore or whatever. And it's like, okay, that's great. What are you going to do? And they're like, I don't know. And it's like two years later, they're a tattoo artist. Mm. Two years later, they're... Uh, like having gallery shows. Right. And it's like, you're not going to, you can't get away from it. (laughs) If it's something you just decided to do on a whim, yeah, you can get away from it. But if it's something you've been wanting to do for forever, you're going to be doing it somehow. Yeah. And I think being open to that is also good. It's like, it doesn't always have to look exactly the same. Right. It can change, but chances are you're coming back to it somehow in some way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I can speak to that. And uh, there's a devil in it. And there's it's yeah. like a devil in it that if you betray that devil, it will go to war with you or something. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that in other artists as well. And like some some examples come to mind where I've known of musicians who in their careers sort of made that question a part of their display out front. Mm. It was like almost they became like this cynical representative of musicianship, but this sort of like undermining the fact that they were musicians. Um, I feel like that never goes well. I feel like that always sabotages the person yeah. when you when you start to 
there, I guess, in other words, there's a way to take that question of why do this, turn that into art in a way that states that it is all meaningless. Yeah. And I, that is bad, I think. I think it, something I just thought of too is like I see a visual artist all the time tweeting or posting on Instagram, whatever, and talking about like in this verbiage specifically, they'll be like, here's a silly little thing I made. Or here's a, like, I just do my silly little drawings. And it's like, I don't know if you realize what you're doing. Mm. I don't know if you realize how you're talking about the thing that you are making. Because, yeah, it's like, it's lighthearted. It's fine. It's not that big of a deal. But I'm not going to do that. Right. I'm not doing that about my work ever. Mm -hmm. Because I make stuff that's whimsical. I make stuff that is funny, whatever. I understand that. But to me, it's not a silly little thing I made. It is the result of years of work. It is the result of understanding what I'm trying to do and still working through what I'm trying to do. And I think in the same way, it's like if you become this cynical representation of the thing you're making, Mm -hmm. it affects you in a way that you're not even aware of. And before you know it, you're sick of doing the thing. Yep. And it's, it's weird. It's a weird, it's a weird space to exist in of being cynical about the thing that you're already doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an unnecessary fight. And yeah, I've, I've seen it take some strange, uh, I mean, I had a spell with it when I was like, I don't know, in a weird place. Of course, there's something to be said about like the relationship one has with themselves. Like maybe they feel cynical about themselves. Maybe these people feel silly about themselves. Like they, they. And often I think it's like they, I often think that when we use persona in that way to kind of uh, convey something, for example, if, if someone's saying, this is just a silly thing, what they're actually saying is the total opposite. They just yeah. are veiling that or trying to, they're, they, they feel self-conscious about how seriously they take it. And so yeah. they make it seem. They're trying like, to disconnect from it. So that way people yeah. don't like it. It's not that big of a deal. Exactly. And I under, I understand the pressure and like, like you said, like I've, I've gone through that. I've dealt with like being cynical about what I'm doing and why am I doing this and what is the point and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, I think that's such an, I think it's such an important struggle to have. I think most people go through it and I think it's such an important struggle to have that I think that's a moment where you sit down with yourself and genuinely reflect on what you're doing. Mm. And try to understand why you're feeling that way. That's what that's what you need to be doing. That's not that it, it's a moment to be working through it. You know what I mean? It's a moment to say, is this genuinely how I feel about this, or am I frustrated about something? Mm. And nine times out of ten, for me, it's because I'm frustrated about something. It's like this didn't go the way I wanted it to. This client interaction was off. Mm. Um, they didn't like it. Now I have to start over. Whatever it is, it's like nine times out of ten, it's just frustration. And the other one chance is because I approached it wrong from the jump. And I have to acknowledge that and I have to fix that. It's like so much of creativity is ego in the first place. And so much of the back end is confronting your own ego (laughs) when you're feeling a certain type of way about something you did. So... 
<laughs> which is such a mind fuck, you know, it's such yeah. an odd combination of yeah. little pieces. But that is exactly right. I'm so good at this. I'm so bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a mess, man. Yeah. But it's a beautiful mess. That's exactly usually. right. So you said something early on in the conversation, too, that, that kind of also makes me, um, reminds me, I guess, of your, your tattoos and stuff. Sure. You, you, when you started talking about the negative space and the open space here, I mean, mm. I, felt like, I felt like that was a... I felt like that was like a statement made by somebody who's sensitive to visual, like the visual sort of like reality that we're in. Sure. Um, and I noticed that like, like with a lot of people, you know, your, your canvas for life and stuff sure. is extended onto your arms. Sure. Um, I'm wondering what your, you can take it either way, whether you want to like take it on the, in terms of, uh, nature and space and all that shit sure. or to, um, skin but i'm just wondering about i'm wondering if i can challenge you to like talk a bit about just negative space and uh potential potential space you know what I sure mean? i mean empty space yeah i think it's a that's a great question it's a difficult one i think for me the the most peaceful i'm ever going to be is in like a space where i feel like i have the room to move um, even like in work, like physical workspaces, I feel like I need to have room to like push things away from me and focus in. Um, I feel like I need that in like in nature aspects as well. I want to have the room to like expand outward. Mm. Um, if you want to think about that in like a metaphysical way, if you want to think about that in a physical way, it's both, it's whatever. Um, I think as far as the way my work goes in that, I think a lot of times when I'm making stuff, my entire perspective, especially diving in, when I start sketches and stuff, it's all about the composition. It's all about where stuff is, where mm. stuff's living. I am not a person that can sit down and just start making something. I'm not a person that's, I'm not, I'm not messy when it comes to what I'm making. I'm not messy when it comes to like my space is messy, but it, you know, it's controlled. Um, so I think in a weird way, it's like this physical space that I recognize as important to me mentally, emotionally, whatever physically also finds its way into my work in composition. Because for me, I have a, I have a graphic design background. It's how I was like, how I was trained, what I learned first. But it's always been about like how things are interacting with other things. Mm. I don't want something to feel unintentionally uncomfortable. Um, intentionally uncomfortable, totally fine. You know, it's, it's, it's really hard to describe because it almost feels like I'm describing like math that doesn't exist. Mm. It's like, I'm not a mathematical person. I don't like grids. I don't like things like that. I know a lot of designers design stuff like on massive grids and make sure everything's perfectly measured. I'm not that way at all. So it's even more difficult to describe. It's mm -hmm. like I have, to, I guess it's not a bragging thing, but like whatever. It's like I have this really strong visual acuity for things where I'm like, I know where things need to go. I know where things need to go for this piece. I know. I'm not worried about it. I had a professor in college who he said he one time was like, 
if it looks right, it is right. Mm-hmm. Talking about how if something's in the middle of the canvas, but there's a piece that stretches over here and now it looks like it's slightly to the right or to the left for some reason, it's wrong. Even if you measured it to be right in the middle, if it looks like it's slightly to the right now because of the composition, now it's wrong because mm-hmm. you want it in the middle. So now you have to scoot it to the left and even though it's not technically in the middle, it's visually right. And that's how I've measured everything. Mm. If it's visually right, I'm good. Mm. That's it. And that's, that's all I can say, really. It's like negative space plays a big role in that because it's like, where does something not need to be? And I think going back to like being unintentionally or intentionally uncomfortable, whatever, playing with that dynamic, I think that immediately relates to tattoos. Mm-hmm. It immediately re- relates to like the act of getting tattooed or tattooing someone. Um, I'm doing an apprenticeship right now, so I'm learning more about like that craft. Really? Yeah. Which is really fun. Um, and I had a long conversation with the artist who did my stomach. His name's Aaron Dale in Greenville, North Carolina. He's great. Um, we had a long conversation while he was doing that tattoo about like, um, how tattooing is this like inherently human experience. This is inherently vulnerable experience. Mm you have to trust this person enough to do this. They have to trust you enough to let them do it. And you are intentionally in pain for that amount of time. Right. You've decided this, you've picked this to do. (laughs) And I think, which I I only started getting tattooed a few years ago. It hasn't really, I don't have that many. It hasn't been that long. Um, And when I started getting tattooed, it was almost this like, it was almost like a revelation of like, oh, this is almost the same thing mm. as what I'm making in a way. Cause it's like, I chose this. I understand where it's living. And then once I started getting more, I was like, I can understand where these need to be and how it affects the overall look, yeah. the overall uh, composition but also just in like that intentionally uncomfortable way is like this relates so weirdly in this totally different way to what I'm doing. It's like, but all like, it's all this like weird mental thing because it's like, I know, I know that I need physical space. I know that where my negative space needs to be in pieces that I'm making. And now I get to literally decide to be an active participant in this like intentionally uncomfortable thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it sounds insane to describe. It doesn't make any sense. Like it's not like it feels like I'm just like rambling through something, but I promise that it makes sense. It's like, (laughs) it's really difficult to describe. It's like I said, it's like I'm describing math that isn't real. It's like, I'm just making things up on like as I see them. But it's just because it's like that. That's also one of those things that comes very naturally. It's like this visual space, this like effect that negative space has on a whole composition comes very naturally to me. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. precisely Sorry to why on and on not at all. That, yeah. That's precisely why I wanted to ask you about it because I can, I get the sense like just from your answer too, I get the sense that like you're aware of something that I think a lot of us don't articulate often. Um, and I like, seriously, I, I get, 
from you talking, I get this vibe that you're like actually sensitive to space and like how space works. And that's something that I would think a, a visual artist would have, but I've talked to a lot of visual artists and different ones focus on different things. Yeah, for sure. But I can just tell from certain things you say that like space matters to you. Yeah. And definitely. and I can also see from your tattoo placements that like you're you're keen on. Like you are Yeah, aware they're of they're space. they're fairly measured out. Like I have these two here, these two here, two on my legs and one on my stomach. So it's like even just in the order I've gotten them, it's been very like here, 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 here. Like it's it's bounced around. So that when I'm like, when I'm thinking about where they are, it feels balanced mm. in a way, which I don't know if that's how people do things. I have no idea, but it's like, that's the way I had to approach it. It was like, my first one was here. I don't know why. Yeah. I was just like, that's where it's going. I designed this one on my laptop while I was at work. Mm. And I was like, I'm getting that tattooed, I guess. <laughs> and it's going to go right here. And that's the only place it can go. And I don't. And I think like some of that is like your first tattoo is like you are really, really specific about it and blah, blah, blah. But then as I've gotten more, it's, um, it's kind of continued on. It's like this one was my second one. And it's like right across from that one. Mm -hmm. And then I got my legs done at the same time, which is just, it says doom and gloom across my knees. <laughs> and, and I got those two and this one done at the same time. So it's literally like a grid. It's like one square. Mm. Which, does, like, I don't know. It feels weird to describe, but that's why I did it that way. Yeah. And I was like, it's just going to look right. It's going to be one rectangle. They're all going to connect in, like, a weird way, and that's it. That's so funny. Because I, and I guess this reveals things about yeah. the way you think. I got these the same day. I got this one lowered down on my arms so that they would be not exactly reflective yeah, yeah. of each other. And I got, this is the first one I got. And my dad said, you know, you're probably going to want, you know, you might, you might want to get it on both arms. And I was like, no, cause then it'll be like too balanced. Too I don't balanced. want like a perfect that's balance. That's the other thing is like, you can't be too balanced. Yeah. That's, and that weirdly, that's how I started to feel. Cause I had this one, this one, and these two. And I was like, now I'm just a square. <laughs> <laughs> so now, so now I have to, so now, then I got this one. So it like offset it a little. And then I got this whole, like my elbow down to my arm done. And then I was like, okay, cool. It's like a little out of balance now. Yeah. And then I got my stomach done to center it all. That's perfect. And it's like, all right, cool. So I, and, and now I'm like, I don't know what my next one's going to be. Yeah. It might be like down on my leg or something. And then like throw the balance off a little more, but still be visually right. I don't know. Man, I love, I, I love the unspoken psychology of tattoos and body modification. Oh my gosh, it's absolutely. It's so weird and interesting and beautiful. It's so interesting. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and so another question that had come to mind that I think still is relevant to sort of this is sort of the compartmentalization that you were hinting at with your workspace. Because mm. like, it sounds like... Again, you're just you're sensitive to placement. You're sensitive yeah. to where things go, and I'm wondering how you've described your your workspace a little bit as like not only somewhere where you can you can push things back out of your way and move things, but yeah. I get the sense that certain things belong certain places. Definitely. I mean, so I have like a basically what amounts to like a digital workstation. It's like it has my laptop, my iPad, and like my sketchbook and my schedule. Mm. And like some pens and pencils, that the random stuff. Um, 
Cause I need like, I still need my sketchbook on in that section because it's like, that's still where I'm doing the majority of the work on the other side of the room split by there's a table in the middle of the room, just like one of those like fold out stand up tables, um, in line with the window that's it's a, it's on the top floor window comes in. My printer's right below the window table mm. right there. Um, and then I have this rolling cart against another wall. There's that's like collage slash like physical drawing mm. area. So like, um, obviously you need kind of, you kind of need a lot of space for collage stuff cause you're cutting stuff out and you might need it right now. You might need it later. So I wanted to have a space where I could say, flip through like old magazines or whatever and be like, Oh, that's interesting. I'll tear that out. And it goes in this pile. Um, Oh, that's interesting. I can use that right now for this collage I'm working on. I'll put that where that actual work is happening mm. is like, even the table is like weirdly split in half. Cause it's like, here's a collage I'm actively working on. And over here is stuff that I'm sorting through to see if I can use it right yeah. now. Um, and then in that rolling cart, it's like, the drawer has stuff I've already cut out in that I'm not using right now. The lower rungs of it have like other stuff that I haven't started looking through yet. So it's like, I think going back to like early in the conversation about like different works or like single, single use spaces, Mm -hmm. right? It's like that space while it's in the same room, that space is for that. It is for like almost like traditional art making. Mm-hmm. Like I can paint over there. I can draw over there. I can make collages over there. I can't do any of that at my desk because my desk has to stay in like a certain level of orderly because digital work is like my main work. I can't have like glue and stuff over there or like collage pieces getting moved around because I need to grab a pencil over here. Like, or it's mixed in with, I put it in the back of my sketchbook because my sketchbook was right there and I can put it in the back and then never remember it's there, you know, that kind of thing. So I think a lot of it was born out of this. um, I don't want to say forgetfulness, but like necessity of if I can leave all this stuff out, I'll go back to it. Mm -hmm. If I shove it somewhere, it's gone. So you're reducing some kind of, obstacle it sounds like yeah i want to be able like i i I figured out i just like came to a realization with the collage i'm working on right now because it's been out for a month Mm. yesterday like i i walked in i was like i know what i can put there and i like i go to like the free bin at mckay's all the time like grab a bunch of stuff out of there and i found like the perfect thing and was just had just been looking through it and then like left it open came back in to my office yesterday and was like oh, that can go right there in that space that I need something right now. You know, it's like reducing the obstacles of like having to get everything back out, finding the things that I need, Mm. um, figuring out where I left the thing that I was going to use has been really beneficial to creating more stuff. It's like I can can see it all so I can just keep working. It's like if if I'm stalling with a client or like, waiting for them to respond to an email or uh, needing to like, they got to get something figured out so they can email me back or they haven't paid an invoice yet. So I can't send their final files like that kind of thing. I can step five feet this way and be working on something totally different. I love that idea. I mean, I think originally with the layout of this room, that was kind of the spirit was 
to minimize any obstacles between me and music creation. Yeah. Uh, recording, I have found that I don't I, like. I don't know if it's worked perfectly for this space. I guess is my idea, and I'm I'm wondering. I don't know. Like I'm hearing you talk about that makes me wonder if I can revisit that idea or something. But um, I think part of it is because what I there's a difference, I guess, in here between I can create music anytime, and that's what I end up doing. Is I yeah uh, I can. I can play instruments anytime. That's easy to do. However, I I don't find that I've increased my likelihood of recording anything. And I think it's because I don't mm. like to have like mics and cables laying around a whole lot. Yeah. You know? That's so fair. it and and they might be like they might be like having glue in my digital area. You know what I yeah. mean? That's yeah. kind of like the thing. It's like a weird obstacle almost. Yeah. Like that you wouldn't think would be a problem. But then if it's even if it's just sitting in the way, it's like oh, it's a distraction. There's too much stuff on yeah. my desk now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I want to revisit that, I think. But um You've got options. Yeah. There's options. You've got a there's fairly large space. You have you have plenty of options. A lot of space. Yeah. And I used to fuck with collages, as you might have noticed with that piano. Yeah. Uh I've got hella collage stuff downstairs. I might actually see if you're interested in any of it. Yeah, uh, it's please. not something I do a ton of anymore. Okay. Uh so I might see if you're yeah, if you fancy please. any of it. Anytime. So as we wrap up, yeah. Uh, damn, yeah. I guess it's been about an hour and a half. Um, wow, it's flying by. <laughs> yes, you're, yeah. you're fun to talk to. Thanks, um, I appreciate it. Oh. Is there anything that you've been um, maybe exploring specifically creatively that uh, that comes to mind? Lately, I've been really, I've been really interested in like how I can how I can represent things in like more abstract ways, less like representative, mm. or and less like. Uh, less specific like letting almost letting letting the viewer in less more to more to uh sparse you mm. know, like more to figure out as you look at stuff um and how i can like add this layer of um i can't think of the right word this layer of uh vagueness almost this layer of mystery i got really into um these video games called uh, dark souls you know about these? No, I, I um, didn't know nothing about video games. Fair enough. They're like, they're super, um, they're like medieval settings. So it's like Dark Souls, Elden Ring, all by the same developer, um, all by the same company. They're like all medieval settings. They're notoriously difficult. The story is always very, very vague. You get it in like little bits and pieces from characters in the game. And there's a lot to kind of like figure out on your own. Um, they're all very heavy, but with like moments of this like levity, mm. like how can you like how to find that levity in like these like very dark environments, very like heavy emotional spaces. And like, I've been trying to play with like this sense of vagueness that they gave me in this like story way of like, how can I, incorporate more almost like almost more user interaction in a way like if and to think about video games but like in my work like viewer interaction how do i like how do i tell people something but also get them interested in this like story aspect mm. of it or this like tiny detail over here that's and i haven't really i haven't really like leaned in yet 
it's something I'm like actively considering because I, I, I love to tell stories. I love to like insert narrative into my work in, in fairly like, I guess semi straightforward ways, but also like I want to explore how vague it can be and still come across Mm. in a way. Hmm. So I've noticed that now with where we are with AI and stuff, yeah, a lot of these mediums are changing pretty drastically. That's true. And what you're making me think of, like a, a buddy of mine who he's more, he's like a legit producer, like at a large scale. And he is like, I was asking him recently, like, so what do you think is going to happen next in the world of the podcasting thing? Mm. And he told me, well, there's these people that are developing these experiences that are beyond podcasts that are sort of like these whole spaces dedicated to the art form, but in a whole different way of storytelling, a whole like hotel room that'll be dedicated to audio audible storytelling. And you're kind of making me think about that when thinking about sort of the future of storytelling as it relates to visual art or visual yeah. representation. Yeah. And, and I, the only thing I've seen, cause I don't really study that world. The only thing I've seen is that shit that people now can like kind of zoom. They can like a piece of art. Oh can yeah. 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 The I know stretch exactly it out. what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like, there's, it's like infinite paper yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I, I think there's like, there's room for human beings to become somehow more involved in like the stories that they want to hear. Mm. And it's like, even just like going back to like dark souls or whatever, it's like those were like a really, really niche thing for people that were serious about games or whatever. And as time went on, people made like YouTube videos explaining the narrative. People made YouTube videos explaining like character motivations and stuff. Cause you don't really get any of that. You have to kind of assume. Mm-hmm. So you build this like very natural community of people who are trying to figure it out together. And then from, from then the community grows because people are realizing, Oh, there's like, this is like kind of deep. There's like fairly deep levels of storytelling here. Mm. So, and now like, they're like a huge company, huge production, like, um, like billions of copies sold of the last thing they put out, that kind of thing. It's not any more clear. It's still just as vague. But I think what that showed me, I think, and like from a creative perspective was like, there's room for vagueness. Yeah. There's room for people to interpret things and be wrong. And it still mean a lot to them. Oh yeah. And it's like, I think there's room in like, human cognition in general to go, what does that mean? I really like it. I have no idea what I'm looking at. I have no idea what it means. And I love it. And I think there's room for that in like spaces I'm operating in. And yeah, I don't know. I'm exploring it like mentally. I haven't, again, I haven't like really leaned in. I've got some ideas working, but it's Mm. something I'm really interested in. I dig that, man. That that same exploration, I think, can take place in, in the music world, too. There's sort of a spectrum of... I think the best way I've heard of it is, like, uh, you, a spectrum of utility and surprise, something yes. like that. Yeah. Or non-convention, however you might want to say it. But there's, I think, I think a, a lot of art forms start out in the sort of utility side of the spectrum where it's just, like, super plain to see. Yeah, and then a lot of people will go into the abstract in a way that's like beyond 
like like separate from utility and and I guess frankly I mean like sometimes with visual art what I experience in the abstract is sort of like I don't I'm like looking for the utility and yeah. I'm like what well I, I think that's kind of the line that like I want to be around is like I I don't want to be making stuff that's like totally non-representational you're right like I I love representational art it's my favorite and so like how do you make something representational that's also very vague and or or has that element of surprise to it it's like without without immediately looking at it and immediately knowing what's going on how do you how do you capture like this like sense of vagueness or this sense of like interest i guess i fuck with that i mean i that sounds like it speaks to my taste for sure i love that it's balance really cool yeah so when you say like, I mean, that's just interesting because I, I, I feel like I, I've spoken to some artists who are at least, they do representative shit. And some of them are more on the fine art side of like, sure. I can do a portrait of somebody that's just straight up a great portrait of somebody or whatever. Yeah. But when you say you love representative art, I guess, does that put you in a different community than the abstract artists? I, I mean, I don't know. Um, I'm wondering what, like, from, think, for a visual perspective as sure. the artist, like, if there's if there's distinct different perceptions, I guess, that go into, like, that side of the world versus the other? I think it depends on the person. But I think, for me, it's, like, it's different flavors, almost, right? It's, like, abstract is... Abstract art, if we're talking, like, fine art, is hitting this specific itch in my brain at a certain time. Mm -hmm. Whereas representational art is hitting a different one. Um, and I guess when I say representational art, a lot of the time it's more modern stuff. It's, it's stuff that, or like the stuff I grew up on. I'm big on source material. I'm big on like what I was first into. Mm. And so it's like, to me, representational art extends to like cartoons that I watched or, um, comic books that I read or even like album artwork, skateboard graphics, that kind of t-shirt graphics. That stuff's all representational art to me. And so for me, a big facet of loving representational art is the fact that there can be a story to it. Yeah. It's something I connect to so easily. Abstract art takes a little more work. You know, a lot of time it's like, where, where am I coming at this from? But then there are people like, um, so what's her name? She's a painter. Um, abstract expression Helen Frankenthaler is this abstract expressionist um big planes of color but they're very aggressive um comes from this place of like raw emotion it feels like to me and that kind of thing is inspiring to me too because it's like there's this level of letting go that's involved mm. right and there's that le there's that high level of vagueness right it's like where what was she experiencing during mm -hmm. this time what is this, what did she feel like this was supposed to represent versus what do I feel like it represents, right? And I think everybody, it's really easy to get wrapped up in the conversation off of abstract art, off of representational art of like which one is better, which one is right. connecting. Um, I could make that, that whole, they didn't know that whole thing. And it's like, to me, none of that shit matters. It's like, what am I gaining from this? What am I, what do I feel like? 
after I looked at that. Mm-hmm. What do I feel like the story to this is? I'm always going to naturally interpret things as having a story, I think. And so I think leaning into like representational, but vague kind of gives me that like connection yeah. of like the abstract, the, maybe the, the strange or ominous or whatever and representational lets me do both. And yeah, it's something I'm figuring out how to do. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. And, and I come dangerously close probably to pitting those two sides of the spectrum against each other, especially mm. as it relates to what I do. Uh, particularly because, you know, I've, I've made jokes, I guess, about uh, at the expense of of some songwriters who go into the abstract realms, sure. like Boney Vare, who, uh, like, I think I, it just reveals a part of my mentality. Sure, I think, which is just that I like the anchor of art being connected. I think to real life or to material life, something yeah. like that. And so when I when I like picture the skill set of somebody who goes into the canvas and explores it in this way that like expresses color very freely and yeah. without the confines of reality. I think I, I just per, like it reveals that for me as a consumer or a person who's looking for that story, I don't connect to that story as well as I do something that reminds me of real life. And I think that's true about how I feel about movies, how I feel about like, What's his name? Terrence Malick, I think, compared to somebody like uh, compared to somebody like Charlie Kaufman. Both still very abstract. Sure. Terrence's stories, they're so much more freely moving than yes. than somebody like Car- like Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman's still very fucking strange in his approach to storytelling, yeah. you know. And I, I like strange and unpredictable, but you read Ant Kind. Ant Kind. Yeah. Is that a Charlie Kaufman? I think so. I don't know if I've seen that. I think so. I think it's a novel. Mm. I'll have to check. Oh, oh, the novel. Yeah. No, I haven't read that. It's good. Okay. Yeah. It's something. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it just, again, yeah, again, agreeing, I guess, with your observation, which is that there's no reason for me to like put these two in a war with each other necessarily yeah. and try to create a hierarchy of necessarily, of, of necessary quality or dis- distinction of quality between the two. Yeah. But I do notice about myself that I like that angle. There's something about like mundane and. Um, surrealist mm. in a way that goes together really well to me. It's like, yeah, um, there's an artist, uh, Slaughter Beach Dog. I don't know if you know them. It's like a folk indie kind of deal. No, but um, I want off the back of like a early 2010s like punk band. Uh. Um, and they're great. And something that I think the leads the what's his name, Jake, something, Jake Ewall, something like that. He he's so good about writing lyrics about nothing at all. Like just normal everyday stuff that feel really important. Hmm. And I find, I find myself like pulled to things like that. I mean, Murakami's great about that too. Um, Haruki Murakami, the writer is great about that kind of thing. Writing things that are super mundane, describing every meal that the character in the book had that day. Uh. But it ends up feeling, it ends up making you feel like, was that, do, is it important for me to know that? Is that a detail I need to have for later? Mm. It's, a, it's, it's almost like if you can add this like narrative and real life to this sense of like vagueness and strangeness, it almost makes the reality more important. Yeah. And 
I'm really drawn to things like that. And so that's, yeah, that's kind of where my headspace is at. I fuck with that. Have you seen that movie that's like about, um, it's a very com- very popular movie that I can't remember the name of, but we showed it. I work with Aperture. That's how you and I, I think, first oh, yeah, communicated yeah, yeah. with each other. And last year we showed this movie that a lot of people know of. The name escapes me, but it's about a woman who starts like a, a, a ramen restaurant. I feel like I know what you're talking about. It's an about. Asian film. Yeah. And in that movie, there's all these subplots that just take you out of the main story for about five that. minutes. Yeah. Take you to a whole different story. Yeah. That goes apparently nowhere. And when I first started seeing this movie, what I thought was happening was they were introducing a new storyline that would collide. But it turned out these were all just, just characters that just took five minutes away from the story. And then you come back to it. And I was just like, that is the coolest shit. That's so cool. It's so fun. It's so free too. Yeah. It's like, why not do that? Yeah. I mean, it's so and much, it's so it creative. Feels, and it feels so connective. It's like, that is what life is. Exactly. It's yeah. like, you want to be involved with this person and like, who's starting a ramen restaurant, you know her, you're talking to her, but then there's all this shit happening outside. <laughs> like, so I don't know. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I will find awesome. you the, please, the name of that please movie. Please do. Cause I'd it's love to, so I'd love worth to watch, the watch. It's so good. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well. I feel like I could ask you about creativity for four hours. Um, we'll just do another one. Let's just run it back. We'll do another I, one. Well, I'll truly, just anytime you want to come on, just I'm come on. I'm always down. Always down. Just let me know. Hell yeah. Well, Christian, uh, I guess we'll wrap up for today. Yeah, and let's absolutely. Just, let's do it again. Man. Yeah, we'll just plan another one. All right. <laughs> All right. Boom.